What'd you say about Suge Knight? What did I say about Suge Knight? I said nothing but good things about Suge Knight. I said lovely things about Suge Knight. The wonderful Mr. Suge Knight, sir. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of 1001 Album Complaints. This is the podcast where lifelong friends, musicians, and people that complain about everything under the sun get together to talk about albums from Robert Dimery's list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die. We are going to give you some background on the artist and the recording. We are going to give some deep dives on individual tracks. We are going to make fun of this artist and this album, so just a fair warning. We absolutely will be making fun of this artist. Now, we are all music lovers and music appreciators, and we respect nothing more than people who go and put themselves out there, but... We all admit that there is a lot to make fun of in music, and so we will be nitpicking this, and at the end, voting and telling you whether or not you really do need to listen to this album before you die. Now, because you clicked on the link, you know we are listening to the 1993 release by the artist Snoop Doggy Dog, Doggy Style. Before we throw it around the room and give our tweet-length reviews, we are going to give you an idea of what we have been listening to this week. So I will be throwing on the second single that was released from this album. It is the track Gin and Juice. With so much drama in the LBC, it's kind of hard being Snoop D-O-double-G, but I somehow, someway, keep coming up with funky ass shit like every single day. May I kick a little something for the G's and make a few ends as I breeze through. Two in the morning and the party still jumping cause my mama ain't home. I got bitches in the living room getting it on and they ain't leaving till six in the morning. So what you want to do? Shit, I got a pocket full of rubbers and my homeboys do too. So turn off the lights and close the door. But, but what? We don't love them hoes. Yeah. So we gon' smoke an ounce to this. G's up, hoes down. Why you motherfuckers bounce to this? Lay back. With my mind on my money and my money on my mind. All right, excellent, excellent. By way of introductions, I will now throw it around the room, and I am going first to Adam. Hey, everybody, this is Adam, and there's only three of us tonight, so my tweet is probably going to be more like two tweet length reviews. But do you guys remember the penis game? For those of you not aware, it's not a sex thing, but instead, (laughs) it's a quote-unquote game wherein a group of 12 to 15-year-old boys place themselves in a public setting like a mall or a grocery store, and one of them says the word penis out loud. The others then join in saying the word penis louder and louder until all but one are too embarrassed to continue. The winner is the last person to shout penis. I say all that to say that Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style was a 52-minute version of the penis game, but with even less nuance and creativity. Oh, burn. Okay, let's hear Phil. 
God. My my tweet length review is every breath Tom took during his intro monologue could have been filled with biatch and it would have fit on the record perfectly. Like it's not it's not disrespect, it's punctuation. Exactly. You're not saying bitch. Very importantly, because they do say bitch sometimes, and it lands way differently than biatch. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, and this is Tom. I will be guiding us down Snoop Doggy Dog Lane today. My tweet length review is Doggy Style by Snoop Doggy Dog is an album so chock full of self-referential self-promotion it may as well be a corporate branding exercise snoop dogg's <laughs> debut is a celebration of the life and lifestyle of snoop dogg with snoop giving us a glimpse into what it is like to be a hugely charismatic and popular recording artist as snoop was at the time in the hands of someone less charming than snoop dogg it could come off as boorish but somehow snoop makes it work and delivers a fun and engaging album that is slathered with snoop doggy dog's personality did I mention that this is by Snoop Dogg? <laughs> <laughs> he really does go hard Ooh, on Absolutely. Feet. But in a genius way. There is no way that you walk away from this album not knowing who this artist is. There is a 0% chance. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So let's get some general impressions. What did you guys think of the week? The week I spent most of 2000 to 2001 listening to this <laughs> chronic and ready to die. Not exactly sure why I went down that rabbit hole, but I did. So I, I'm, no, I'm deeply versed in doggy style. You went down that rabbit hole because these albums are kind of awesome. I They're sick. I, actually, yeah. you know, one thing I will say, given that we have a couple, you know, St. Matthew's All-Stars on the on the call tonight, <laughs> I'm going to refer to some <laughs> other other players in the game, right, back seventh and eighth grade, and I'll just refer to them by first name only. We'll all know who we're talking about, uh, sure, right? Like, sure. I definitely remember hanging with... With Zach D waiting for this record to come out. I didn't know what this record was, but he was very excited for it. He liked NWA. <laughs> I was very scared of NWA. I was like nine. You know, I couldn't handle that. I also remember Link, Link and Danny oh, being yeah. really into this. And, you know, they were right. Mm -hmm. They were sure. right. You know, I was, again, I was just too immature. <laughs> too immature for this cavalcade of dick say, references. I was just going to say, it's like it's a very specific window of maturity that you could, you could, you could move through it if you're not careful. This music was meant through 9 to 14-year-olds is what this was aimed at, I think. Yeah, I think like 12 to 16, and at 9, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> probably the sweet spot. I was very unfamiliar with this album. You guys are probably not Shocker. surprised that this is not, <laughs> not my genre. Wasn't super familiar with it. I knew one or two of the hits. Honestly, it was a rough week for me. There was it was a lot of cringeworthy moments, and I, you know, I listened to the album like like we all do, you know, ten to twelve times. And there were points in this album where I knew it was coming up, and I still was like cringing, like, mm. oh man, that's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Now, now, having said that, I I knew I came in hot, but we're known here for saying do a a headphone listen. This album is phenomenally produced. Oh, yeah. And yeah. really well, I won't call it orchestrated, but I'll say it's arranged like really well. There are subtle things going on. I, I even sent out a text message earlier today where I kind of broke down, you know, the chord patterns on one of these songs. There's a lot going oh, on yeah. there in the background. Dr. Dre will kill you with the beats yeah. <laughs> or, you know, possibly with a gun. Or right? like, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it makes it pretty clear and delivers on his promises. I would not, I would not cross that man. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> this album is a lot of fun. 
I had a so lot great. of fun listening to this album this week. It, I think that it is non-serious. It is an exercise in saying offensive and funny things. And Adam, your sense of humor and Snoop's sense of humor do not cross at all. There sure, is very sure. little overlap on that Venn diagram. So I can understand why <laughs> it maybe was a turnoff for you. But frankly, I left feeling a lot more impressed than I even had been listening to it back in the day. It's light and breezy, which was definitely a conscious choice. It was extremely smart to do it that way. It allowed him to make inroads into basically white audiences that people like Ice Cube with The Predator or like even NWA, oh, sure. yeah, you right. know, those guys were much more niche in terms of their Or middle niche. class Catholic school. Yeah, like <laughs> this allowed him to become a gigantic star. And we will talk about that a little bit more. But I came away. Here, Here is my thesis for this album. Stoop Dog is the David Gilmore of rap. <laughs> He's not a shredder. He's not like a Busta Rhymes or a Tech Nine. Right, it was right. just, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, rip. it's very intentional. It's very purposeful. Everything is placed very well. And I appreciated it from a standpoint of its construction. I thought that it was very well constructed. He is smooth. Oh, yeah. That's interesting that you said that you don't think that they took it too seriously, that, that you saw more of a joke. Because I watched the behind the music from whenever it was, 2001 or 2004, you know, in the midst of listening to this. And then I listened to it another five times. And judging from the history, and Tom, I'm sure you'll get into this, it felt, I don't know that it felt like a joke. Like, I felt like it was, they were living this and they really did, like, they, they put their lives onto the record. Now, I'm sure there was some humor in there, but it feels more to me like this was them, like, being their authentic selves, which is quite, you know, quite terrible if you listen to it. I think that's an interesting take because I, I would... I would estimate that it's somewhere in between there, right? I think that yeah, sure. this is definitely much lighter than The Chronic, which in many ways, like, this is like the follow-up to The Chronic, right? Uh, even though it's not, right? But but this is much... The, the Chronic is way heavier, right? <laughs> okay, so you're saying... I've never listened to The Chronic. You're saying that is way more, like, leaning into the gangster, I'm going to kill you stuff, Literally, versus this is yes. more playful? Absolutely. This is more playful, and I did find this to be <laughs> playful. And you are right. I feel like he's putting his life out there, but he's basically saying, my life is, I smoke a bunch of weed, I hang out with my goofball friends, we have sex with women, and everything is kind of fun and breezy and cool. And, I, you know, I liked it. I thought it was I thought it was very engaging, honestly. Overall, again, I was expecting it to be, I had my nostalgia lens on, and I was like, I'm probably going to like it because... I listened to it back in the day. Sure. And no, I liked it because of my listen this week, even more than I thought I would like it from back in the day. Nice. So we are going to get into the history and the lead up to this album. But before we do that, we are going to do a quick doggy style by the numbers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well done. Wow. Um, it's about Snoop though, right? It is about Snoop. Snoop doggy dog, just in case you're- Wait. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, which Snoop? Oh, right. Yeah. Doggy dog. Got it. So the first number is 19. That is the number of months that it took Snoop to go from absolute obscurity to being the biggest rapper in the world with the number one album in America. 19 months from nobody knew who he was at all to he is the biggest rapper in the world and arguably the biggest star in the world at the time. That's crazy. The next number is also 19, which is the age that he was yeah. when he first appeared 
on the Dr. Dre song Deep Cover, which was his first appearance, and then that rocketed him to stardom. 19. 19 God, years yeah, old. We talk about some of these, these you know, musicians hitting this this scene, hitting the world at 19. Good Lord. Yeah. Your baby. That's nuts. What is Deep Cover on? Because it's not on the chronic, but it's Deep not. Deep Cover is on the soundtrack for the movie Deep Cover. <laughs> with Lawrence Fishburne? <laughs> with Lawrence Fishburne. Wow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. God, Brain, I'm glad you saved that. Yeah, nice pull on Lawrence <laughs> yeah, Fishburne, by the way. I'm really glad yeah. that's still in there. Well Good. done. Thank you. So, 2 million is the next number which is the amount in pre-orders for Doggy Style when it was released. $2 million in pre-orders for Doggy Style when it was released. Number one is the chart position of Doggy Style when it was released. That's and crazy. the last number is just zero, which is the amount of times before this that an artist's debut album had debuted at number one. Really? Nobody else had ever debuted at number one for their debut album, except for Snoop Doggy Dog. Dude, talk about hype. That's wild. That is wild. I was really hoping that you had found the number of times they say dog on the oh internet. Oh my God. I would need a supercomputer. I'd have to like daisy chain <laughs> IBM Watson. 500 like PlayStation 3s together. Or be, like that. That's a good call. There, and there's some serious questions to ask. Like when the backup singers say dog, does that count? How many times does that count? Like yeah. when they hit the sample, they go dog. Like is yeah. that one every time? Or do we count it every time? What is, yeah. You exactly. count it every time. <laughs> All right. So let's get into the background of this artist. We're talking about Calvin Cortazar Brodus Jr., born October 20th, 1971, the second child of Beverly Tate, and she had him with a man named Vernell Vernardo. So why is he named Calvin Brodus Jr.? Apparently, Vernell Vernardo left their family when he was three months old, and he was named after his stepfather, Calvin Brodus. But this does bring up an interesting question. Which is, did he not have a name when he was born for three months? Yeah. Huh. Did they change oh his name God. at three months old? Or was did they she just not already the with paperwork? Calvin Brodus? Yeah, like, what's the deal with that? Yeah. Right. I don't understand why that is. But either way, it's bizarre. We're going to move on from that. His mother <laughs> is just 20 years old when she has him. So his mom's 20. He has an older brother. And he has, he has a younger brother eventually, too. By the time he is four... His stepfather is also out of the picture, and by all accounts, it sounds like his mom raised them pretty much alone from that point on. They are living in Long Beach, California. Now, for those of you who do not know, we actually do have a lot of international listeners. Long Beach, California is a city in the county of Los Angeles. It's got about 800,000 people or something like that, and it stretches from the Pacific Ocean, and then it goes up north— and then there's like the kind of North Long Beach area, which I believe is where Snoop was from, which abuts against the city of Compton, which will come up later. Now, he is nicknamed Snoopy as a young kid, basically because he loves the character Snoopy from Peanuts. Nothing more complicated than that. His mom calls him Snoopy because he likes Snoopy. Hmm. And he is now like a 50-year-old man still going by Snoop. <laughs> hey, man, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I just now put together that LBC stands for Long Beach. Cal oh, my God. I'm an idiot. I thought that was like somebody's name. I don't know. So guess where he gets his musical education as a young kid? 
Take a wild stab at it. Church. It's always church. Jeez, all right. Yeah, it's, it's always, always church. church. <laughs> it's he sings in the choir. He plays piano. He's you know he gets it from singing and playing piano at the local church. His family is wow. poor as shit growing up. You know they're living in basically what you see when you see stuff like Boys in the Hood, that kind of urban sprawl L.A. underclass environment, mostly black neighborhoods. That's where he grew up. And so from a young age, he's hustling. He's trying to make money, doing odd jobs, selling newspapers. But he's always described as a good student, and he was a frequent and enthusiastic churchgoer. He was a literal choir boy growing up. That's crazy. Which you would not expect from some of the subject matter of these songs, but he was a literal choir boy growing up. I mean, Jesus smoked weed. Snoop smokes weed. Same thing. Did Jesus smoke weed? (laughs) It's a gray area. That reminds me of my absolute favorite <laughs> Dr. Katz episode from back in the day where Jon Stewart's on there and he's talking about, you know, after Jesus turns water into wine, all the stoners were coming up to him and be like, hey, Jesus, I got out of this sage. Come on, man. <laughs> Come me on, up, man. Turn into weed. Come on. <laughs> anyway, the uh, ecclesiastical implications of Jesus's drug use aside, we're going to move on to <laughs> Snoop's life from here on out. And all right, so... Unfortunately, like a lot of kids in his situation, growing up in impoverished neighborhoods, he, as he gets older, gets drawn into the world of gangs and the world of crime. He becomes a member of the Rolling 20 Crips, which is a Long Beach gang, and he starts selling drugs. Again, he's been hustling since he was a kid trying to make money, and you're in that environment, you know. You said Rolling 20s? Rolling 20s, yeah. Because he mentions that in a song. So that's the gang. Yes. Okay, got it. That's the gang that he was... I don't know if they would refer to it as a set or a gang or whatever, but at this point, he is a member of a nascent criminal organization called the Rolling Twenties, and he is also selling drugs at the time. He's selling cocaine. I'm guessing that they're probably referring to crack and not powder cocaine. That would be my guess. Maybe that's just racist of me to guess that, but either way, he's selling coke. L.A. in the early 90s, it's probably not that far of a leap there. Yeah, that was like the crack explosion. And so basically graduates from high school in 1988, and he is arrested very shortly thereafter for possession of cocaine. And he's kind of in and out of jail for a couple of years from there on out. But while he was still in high school— He realized that he had a talent for rapping. Basically, he was a shy kid, pretty reserved kid, and even talks about still being shy to this day. But he was a shy kid, but he found that people would pay attention to him if he rapped. And so he would start rapping in the hallways at school. And he describes that the teachers would think that there were fights going on because there'd be such a big crowd of people around him when he was rapping that teachers would come barreling through, wait to break up a fight. And it's just this skinny little kid rapping in the middle of it. And they're like, oh. All right, I mean, go on, you know, cool. And he's so laid back, too. I mean, it kind of makes sense what you're saying, his personality, that he's somewhat reserved. Because every interview I've ever seen, you know, I I don't think he's just high in everything. But I just think he's just got, well, (laughs) (laughs) it probably is, too. 
but he just he's very soft spoken. Well, he you know not to not to cast aspersions on anybody by saying that he's high all the time, but he's fucking high all the time. <laughs> he has a professional <laughs> blunt roller, and I believe that his blunt roller gets a fifty thousand dollar a year salary just to be his blunt roller to f- to follow follow him, him around, around as part of his entourage so that roll whenever no not joints blunts my friend oh, so whenever Snoop is just like blunt me this guy's just like there you go buddy there you know like blunt and a lighter. Right there for you. <laughs> just like I'm just like blunt and a lighter deep at all times. <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. So Adam, you didn't like smoke ten blunts when you listened this week? I did not. That may have helped me with my understanding of the album. Yeah, yeah, it may have, <laughs> may have. Certainly would not have hurt. Yeah, correct. <laughs> all right. So basically, Snoop has graduated from high school and he is at this point in his life where he has these sort of two parallel paths. One is music, rapping. He loves music, he loves rapping. The other is selling drugs, because that's how he's actually making any money. But his passion is music. So he is selling drugs, but he is in a gang, basically because that's just kind of what you had to do at the time in that neighborhood. He's selling drugs, so he wants to make money. But he wants to try to turn rapping into an actual viable career. And he hooks up with two of his cousins, Nate Dog and Lil Half Dead, which I love that name. It's a great name. <laughs> and a friend one Warren G and they form a group called 213 which is the area code for Long Beach got it now as you all I'm sure remember Adam I'm throwing this one out directly to you the song Regulate by Nate Dogg and Warren G are you familiar with that one yeah, absolutely. Okay. So right. my, you, yeah. you better be familiar with that one. Yeah. It's the, I keep forgetting, basically. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yes. But yeah, they talk about that, you know, Nate Dogg and 213 had to regulate in there. Ah, yeah. there you go. All right, all right. That's the crew that they're talking about. But for the purposes of our story, the most important thing here is that Warren G is the stepbrother of one Andre Rommel Young, professionally known as Dr. Dre. Ah, there it is. Yes. And so Dr. Dre... Of course, we'll get into this, but I hope people know this. Dr. Dre is the forerunners of the West Coast hip-hop sound, founding member of one of the earliest and most influential rap groups, uh, gangster rap groups, N.W.A., became hugely successful following the release of their 1988 album, Straight Out of Compton. So, it's 1988, N.W.A. releases Straight Out of Compton. 1989, Snoop graduates from high school, and his like one of his best friends is the stepbrother of the guy in NWA. And so that makes him realize that, hey, maybe there is a chance that music could actually be a thing. Starts taking it a little bit more seriously, starts producing some singles, but like, you know, he was basically like, I met some white boy who said he makes beats. So like I went to his, his house and we just sat in the living room and made a beat, and made a song and we made a cassette tape. And like we walked out of there with three copies of the cassette tape, and then we just started making copies of them to give to our friends and family. And then a couple of weeks later, we started selling them for five bucks a pop because people actually wanted them. It was very much a underground, self-funded kind of thing. But he was really like, "Hey, I think that this could actually make it. I think this could actually be a thing." Was NWA really big at that time? Were they like top of their career at that point, or were they kind of still starting up? Or I'm not familiar with their time. 88 Straight Outta Compton comes out. And Straight Outta Compton is a huge hit. Okay. They are it. gigantic it. success. Like, fuck the police is on that. And that's okay, like a right. big breakout hit. They would have burned really hot really fast, too. Because by 90, like, they had been done. Like, Easy e and Dr. Dre wouldn't have been on speaking terms. The Chronic would have come out, like, late 90, right? Early 91. 
Well, we'll get into we'll get into the okay. timeline yeah, here. Yeah. So, basically, NWA blows up in 1991. We actually covered this on the Ice Cube the Predator episode, which if anybody's interested in listening to that one, it was episode 26. Great episode, if I do say so. I would agree on that one. I thought that one was a lot of fun. NWA falls apart because Jerry Heller, who is referenced many times in the chronic as the guy that Dr. Dre wants to fucking kill, and Eazy-E, who also is mentioned many times as the guy that Dr. Dre wants to kill, and Ice Cube wants to kill. (laughs) (laughs) They try to cut everybody else out of the money coming in for NWA and say that it's Eazy-E's the star, Dr. Dre's not the star, Ice Cube's not the star. Good choice there, Jerry Heller. That one panned out for you. (laughs) So they blow up. It is 1991. And Dr. Dre is out in the wind. So he has not done any solo stuff at this point. He has produced other people's albums. He actually produced a couple of Easy e albums. And he has done rapping on NWA songs, but nobody knows Dr. Dre as a solo artist. So he's kind of out in the wind, and he's sort of trying to figure out what he's going to do. And he hooks up with Suge Knight, Dick Griffey, and the DOC, and they found Death Row Records. Now, basically, Dre has a lot of production credits. He's trying to figure out how he's going to make a name for himself as a solo artist, but he also has this new record label. And he's like, I have to build a stable of talent. If I want to get this record label off the ground, we have to get people who are going to want to be under this new record label that people don't necessarily know about. Just as a funny side note, so Death Row Records was funded in part by money extorted from Robert Van Winkle, a.k.a. Vanilla Ice. No. <laughs> As the story goes, Suge Knight, who is a fucking certified gangster and has killed people. <laughs> Pretty sure he's been convicted and done hard time for it, too. Yes. Definitely done hard time. He got off on one of them. He hit a guy with his car, like crushed him between a wall and his car. But like it was Jesus. like self-defense. But he's a fucking bad guy. Suge yeah, Knight. Right. I'm, I'm actually kind of scared to say some shit about Suge yeah, Knight. Yeah, so I was like, thinking that say anything bad about Suge <laughs> <Yeah>. Knight. <laughs> But he's a fucking straight-up gangster, right? (laughs) As the story goes, Suge Knight claims that an associate of his had written Ice Ice Baby and was not compensated for it. This story is total bullshit, a total fabrication. Did not actually happen. After many incidents of intimidation, stuff where, like, Vanilla Ice would be sitting and, like, eating... And Suge Knight would roll up with like eight dudes who would then grab Vanilla Ice's bodyguards and Suge Knight would just sit down at the table and start fucking eating Vanilla Ice's food and be like, what the fuck? (laughs) After a bunch of intimidation, apparently at one point he breaks into Vanilla Ice's 13th story hotel room and brings him out on the balcony and does a good enough job of convincing him that if he does not sign over the rights to Ice Ice Baby, he's going to throw him off the fucking balcony. Holy crap. Signs it over. And the money that they get from that is what pays for Death Row Records. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which is fucking hilarious. That is insane. There's got to be a little piece to that story that we don't know. Like, why is Vanilla Ice, like, in cahoots with Suge Knight and his crew? He's not in cahoots with Suge Knight. He didn't know him. (laughs) Suge Knight was just like, I'm going to take your money because you're a bitch, basically. (laughs) I say, all right, yeah. That's nuts, man. Well, and a lot of people were upset with Vanilla Ice at the time. Vanilla Ice was a white guy who had no cred, no authenticity. And up until Eminem was the biggest selling rapper of all time. 
Yeah. Vanilla Ice, the biggest selling rapper of all time, up until Eminem hits. So wow. the two biggest selling rappers of all time are white guys. <laughs> we're white guys. It's and crazy. yeah, they were pissed about that. They were like, this is like Elvis 2.0. You're taking our style and making the money off of it. Ice Ice Baby sucks too. Like Ice it's... Ice Baby is not terrible. It's not nearly as cool as Elvis. It's not nearly as cool as Elvis, but it's not terrible. Let's, okay? All right, stop. Collaborate. Okay? <laughs> All right. So at this point, Dr. Dre has got his label. He's got Death Row Records. He signs a deal with Interscope Records to do distribution. Interscope, famously started by Jimmy Iovine, old record company guy. Have you guys watched that documentary? I think it's called The Defiant Ones. It's about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. No. It's fantastic. If you have not watched it, you should watch it. Jimmy Iovine is a madman. But he's also a mad genius when it comes to finding talent and recruiting talent and, you know, getting the word out there about talent. Either way. So Dr. Dre has got his record label. He's trying to find artists. And this is where the connection with Warren G really comes in handy. Because as the story goes, Dr. Dre is at a bachelor party with a bunch of his friends, a bunch of music industry guys, and Warren G kind of finagles his way in because he's Dr. Dre's stepbrother. Doesn't sound like they were very close. Notably, Dr. Dre was not like, come on, Warren, let's let's do your album. <laughs> he was like, no, oh, right, right. I think I'm going to look for something else here. But Warren is at this party, and the boombox is playing, and he kind of just like sidles up to the boombox, and when one track ends, he hits eject on the tape and pops in a tape of Snoop and starts playing that. And Snoop has said that Warren G believed in him more than he believed in himself. Warren G was like, you're going to be a fucking star. You are phenomenal. You're cool. You're breezy. You're relatable. You can be a star, and I'm going to help make you a star. So the song comes on, and apparently everybody in the place is like, this is pretty dope. What is this? Dr. Dre is like, what's going on here? And Warren's like, this is my boy Snoop. You got to talk to Snoop. And so Dre's like, yeah, I do think I have to talk to Snoop. Again, Snoop's 19 years old at the time. Jesus. That's wild. That's like a Hollywood script. You know what I mean? Like, that is wild. It really is. And in all honesty, if Warren G is not getting, like, the best birthday presents every year from yeah, right. to this day, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. So Dre had just been given the opportunity to do the title track for the soundtrack of the movie Deep Cover. And he is like, well, I need to make this song a hit. This is my introduction to the world as a solo artist, but I also want to be, you know, establishing myself as the kind of guy who's like a talent aggregator. And so he brings on Snoop for the song Deep Cover, which is kind of a, it's kind of a hit. Like it doesn't go to number one or anything like that, but it's a hit and people are like, oh shit, Dr. Dre is a legit solo artist. But more so, who's this dude, Snoop, that's on this song? I don't know if you guys have heard that song. It's the 187 on an undercover cop song. It's not a bad song. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's referenced a couple of times on this album, the 187 on Mm -hmm. a motherfucking cop, I believe, is referenced on this album. But that is basically Dr. Dre's entry, and then he's like, I'm going to start working on The Chronic. And what I did not realize until this week is that Snoop is a co-writer on The Chronic, and he's on almost every single track. He is on all over the record, like all over. I didn't quite realize that it was like Snoop is, it's like Dr. Dre and Snoop. 
basically. That's the project. There's a bunch of other people on it, but only Snoop gets a co-writer credit for the album as a whole, not just individual songs, which is pretty intense because The Chronic comes out in 1992, and I cannot stress to you enough how much of a breakout hit The Chronic was. That album was so damn big, and it basically started an entire new subgenre of music called the G-Funk style. I remember being in like seventh or eighth grade when that sound came out and like, you know, obviously George Clinton had already existed. So I don't want to say it's like no, nothing could ever. But like as a 10 or 12 year old, like I had never heard anything like that before. Like it sounded like it was from a different world. It really did. And it was people will say that they give Ice Cube credit for it was a good day coming out a little bit before that and kind of being a bit more of this like you know, laid back kind of style, but I think Dre perfected it on The Chronic. To give you an idea of how big The Chronic was, released in December 1992 and spent 97 weeks on the charts. 97 weeks, sold 5.7 million copies in the U.S. alone. And that means that when Doggy Style was released, The Chronic was still on the charts. Big time, yeah. 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 So you got The Chronic, which Snoop's getting a co-writing credit on. Dr. Dre's getting a writing and producing credit on. And then you got Doggy Style, which Dre's getting a producer credit and Snoop's getting a a writing credit, like primary writing credit for that. They're just rolling in the money at this point. Like, it's it's insane. 5.7 million copies is... Some guy broke it down. It was a music journalist that I was listening to. And he said... He was talking about a triple platinum album. He said, well, you need to understand is that if an album goes triple platinum, that's $30 million to the record label. But that's like $45 million just to the retailers. Like the retail sellers are making $45 million bucks, and the record label's making $30 million bucks off of that. Like these are huge events. These are make or break for record label type of events. Jeez, right, and this right. went 5.7 million copies in the U.S. alone, 97 weeks on the charts. So just imagine this, okay? You are Snoop Dogg. He had just turned 21. It's December of 1992. The album that he is on is hugely popular. Just before this, you know, eight months before this, nobody fucking knew who he was. And all of a sudden, he's on the biggest rap album at the time. It's a huge breakout hit. And he went from being broke in jail and selling drugs, getting arrested, being a member of the Rolling Crips in 1991 to one of the biggest and most recognizable rappers in the world. He has a record contract with Dr. Dre, the biggest rapper and biggest rap producer in the world. Everything is going great. And Dr. Dre said, everybody who appeared on The Chronic, I'm making their own album. They're all getting a solo album. Number one solo album we're going to do. We're going to do Snoop Dogg's solo album. And he's very open about that. He's saying this in interviews. And so people are really highly anticipating Snoop's solo album coming out. There's already a lot of kind of buzz around this going on. That's where you get $2 million in pre-sales, right? Well, a couple of other things happen in the interim okay. that get a, uh, a buzz going on around this. So it's July 1993. You're in the midst of recording your debut solo album. You're Snoop Dogg. You're making, a, you know, you're making money off the chronic sales. You're feeling damn good. The record label's putting you up in nice-ass hotels, renting you nice apartments. You're driving nice cars. July 1993, he gets pulled over, searches his car. He's got a gun in the car. 
Now, remember, he'd gone to jail for felony cocaine possession. He's a convicted felon. He is not allowed to own a gun. But record company bails him out of jail. Of course they bail him out of jail. They're like, well, you got to keep this money train He's rolling. their meal ticket, right? Jail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he's like make or break for both death row and for Interscope Records, right. which is Jimmy Iovine's record label. Yeah. They're both really counting on this album coming out. <laughs> so he gets bailed out, you know. Back on track. Back to recording. Until August 25th of 1993. It's like five weeks later? It's like five weeks later. Snoop's in the apartment <laughs> that the record label is renting for him. It's a nice-ass apartment, but it's not in his neighborhood. Not where he grew up. There's an altercation in the streets, and it's a friend of Snoop's coming to visit him, and members of the local gang are giving him shit, and basically like, who the fuck are you, and why are you here? And Malik Lee who is Snoop's bodyguard, goes out to investigate, sees that one of the guys who is causing a commotion out there is this guy, Philip Walder Marion, a.k.a. Little Smooth. And he's like, I recognize this guy. He showed up at one of the music videos for The Chronic, threatening Snoop with a gun. So he's already on high alert, all right? Situation diffuses, breaks up. Snoop and Malik Lee leave. They're driving back a couple of hours later in Snoop's topless Jeep, and same dudes are sitting at a picnic table, like, right outside of Snoop's apartment. Basically, like, kind of waiting for them to come back. Right. Is the implication that the bodyguard, Malik Lee, gives. Snoop drives right up to the picnic tables. Malik Lee stands up in the Jeep and pulls a gun out on them. And is like, what the fuck are you doing here, basically? The guy, Paul Waldermanian, is kind of talking shit. They exchange words. They're talking, like, you think I'm a fucking punk? You know, all that type of shit. And according to Malik Lee, Walter Manian starts reaching for a gun. Malik Lee shoots him dead. Notably, Malik Lee had pulled his gun first, and Walter Manian had not pulled his gun when he was shot and killed. Malik Lee is claiming self-defense, but both Malik Lee and Snoop get charged with murder. Wow. So it is August... Your record is going to come out oh in a couple of months. It's highly anticipated. <laughs> and you just crap. got charged with fucking murder. Not accessory to murder. Because the law in California is, if you are involved in the commission of a murder, you committed a murder. And so he is charged with straight up murder. Jesus. Yes. Now, it's notable that this doesn't actually go on trial until 1995. So this happens in 1993. And it doesn't two go on trial to two years later. Wow. Two years later. All right. Now, you know, I'm sure it was pushed back for because of his financial means and the financial means of the record label, which just goes to show you that when it comes to the justice system in America, it's not about black or white. It's about green, baby. <laughs> that is what gets shit done. He's actually uh, represented by Johnny Cochran, too. Red, and, shut up. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, he is. And he eventually gets off. But that's for later. So. Highly anticipated album comes out. Snoop Dogg gets charged with murder. It's a huge story, and it spikes the pre-orders. Everyone's like, "Oh well, shit! I gotta, yeah, I gotta get on this." There's no such thing as bad publicity, even when it's yeah. murder. Even when, well, you know, for yeah. a musical style where you're claiming to be a gangster, yeah, you're like, oh, he that. just killed somebody. This guy's legit. <laughs> this yeah, album's gonna this kick out. ass. <laughs> yeah. So he's got this murder charge pending right before his debut album. He actually goes on TV before he even surrenders to the police. Like the night that he surrenders to the police, the evening, like earlier that evening, he's on like TV at an award ceremony. 
and he's talking about like I'm fucking innocent. I think he might have actually done murder was the case. <laughs> it's yeah, it's crazy. But huge amount of hype. And again, two million dollars in pre-orders. Doggy Style becomes one of the most anticipated releases ever. Debuts at number one. In its first week, it sells over 800,000 copies, and it's certified four times platinum in 1994. So it's released in November 1993, four times platinum Jesus. in 1994. That's a lot of, that's a lot of records sold. Again, grew up hard scrabble. It's a lot of dogs. That's a, a lot, lot of, of fucking do- dogs, man. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a lot of blunts that you can buy there. Yeah. <laughs> But just the crazy whiplash of your life. Like that roller coaster ride, I cannot imagine that. You go from, I graduated from high school and got arrested for selling drugs. And then three years later, I am like just an overnight millionaire, basically. That's, that is wild. Yeah. So here we are. We are at the actual release of Doggy Style. Thank you for sticking with us. We are going to now go and dig into some of these individual tracks and tell you what we think. We are going to revisit the track Gin and Juice that we played at the beginning. This was the second single released off of this album. Huge hit. Very distinctly remember this music video. Very distinctly remember listening to this back in the day. The edited version that was on the radio, of course. <laughs> right, right. But let's give another listen to this. Money in my money on my mind. Later on that day, my homie Dr. Drake came through with a gang to tangle race. And a fat ass Jake of some bubonic chronic that made me choke. Shit, this ain't no joke. I had to back up off of it and sit my cup down. Tangerine and chronic, yeah, I'm fucked up now. But it ain't no stopping, I'm still popping. Dre got some bitches from the city of Compton to serve me. Not with a cherry on top. Cause when I bust my nut, I'm raising the box to cock. Don't get upset, girl, that's just how it goes. I don't love you hoes, I'm out the dope. And I'll be. I'm going to go to Phil because Adam's just going to poo-poo this and I want to hear somebody say something positive. <laughs> all right, all right. Those are my two main notes on gin and juice that I think are really funny, right? I tried to really come into this like fresh ears, like, okay, I've never heard this before. I've never tried to clear my mind, you know? It just sounds like dudes peeing in the beginning. It's like the song kicks off with a dude peeing, right? I think it's part of the skit. You try to invoke <laughs> that they're pouring drinks. I understand. Oh, that, I thought I mean, it was uh, peeing as well. I always thought it does really sound like peeing. It really does because that's the longest well, you know, and deepest pour. Like he's like doing like he's one of like these. yelling. He's like yelling from the bathroom right. or something. Yeah. The other, <laughs> the other thing, uh, you know, it came. It, he's saying indoor, not. Endo. I feel like in grade school, it was like, yo, man, weed is endo. That's like some cool snoops. Like, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, this is nice marijuana that was grown indoors. Really? I am pretty sure that he is saying smoking Indo, like Indonesian. Ooh, okay. No, because that right, is definitely right, a thing. Right. It's like, uh, what's that Biggie song, Dead Wrong? When it's like, smell the Indonesia, I'll beat you to a seizure, yeah. then hit the skins, fuck your mom to amnesia. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Okay. It's aggressive. Yeah. Oh, shit. It's, okay. No, it gets yeah. worse too. I, I will not repeat <laughs> oh, the entirety of that, which I could, by the way, the entirety of that okay, song. Okay, well, but. thank you for clarifying that for <laughs> yeah. me, Tom. Dude, this song is a banger. 
So first off, oh, yeah, they established that this synth, this is basically like a prog synth player because that synth <laughs> runs throughout this whole album and defines the sound of this album. Like if you were to pick one thing, like I know Snoop has his delivery style and he's laid back and he's got his thing. But if you were to ask me, like, what's the through line? It is synthesizer on this album. Oh, yeah. And that's all Dre. There's a similar sound. It's a little different than the one on this record, but there's a similar sound that is on like every song on the Chronic. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Yeah. It's like yeah. he found one sound on like a Moog synth, and he was like, "That's the one. Don't touch the Don't knobs." Don't ever touch you it. Know? This is gonna be. And and it sounds great, and he's not wrong. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, like yeah. this song is this song is really good. Yeah. I love the way a lot of like Snoops or whoever the lead rapper is at the time. I like the way a lot of their their lines get like backed up, you know, like Beastie Boys style. But it's always in a weird like row, row, row your boat around that it's in like a crazy stereo. It's like they'll say something and then, you know. You're talking about like, I got bitches in the living room getting it on. They ain't leaving until six in the six in the six in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. It's in a yeah. round. And in, like, it's quite lovely. Yeah, yeah it's, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Exactly. Get all the kids singing this one on the playground. Yeah. So it's astounding that this may be the only song in the album after the intro where they don't say the N-word, which is why we used to be able to cover this song. And I shake wow. my head and hang my head because everyone listening you, right now is like, no You used no to cover way. this song. We used to cover this song. We did a goddamn good job of it. Like, I, you know, I'm not a super proud, you know, prideful person, not very cocky. We crushed this tune. So we had a really great rhythm section, you know, had some uh, bass effects and stuff it was pretty cool but yes this the one thing i noticed was what this he doesn't drop the n-word in the song at all so it's like a little check mark there question at the beginning of the song would you mic up a bucket and piss into yeah it? that was part of the shtick yeah everyone would come yeah, to see yeah, the group of white guys trying to do this song and the guy pissing on stage <laughs> into a mic'd up bucket it's totally different <laughs> i want to see the recording of Adam live saying, so we going to smoke an ounce to this, G's up, hose down while you motherfuckers bounce to this. I want to see that. You're probably not dropping your G's. So we are going to smoke right. an ounce to this. Right. <laughs> this song also establishes, I talked earlier about the composition of these songs. And we know with a lot of hip hop and, and a lot of the, the rap is that you've got a single a single sample or single, you know, measures of the rap. Tom's laughing at me. Sorry. I'm just laughing because you're like, <laughs> yeah, a lot of hip hop and a lot of the rap. <laughs> totally like Bill Cosby, 1986. Right, go to hell. <laughs> it can get old, right? You've got one sample and you're looping the thing for nine minutes. I thought they did this thing in the third verse, which was really nice, where they dropped the bass out for the, like the starting two measures of the verse. And it creates some dynamic. Like it, something changes, you perk your yeah. head up, and then it comes back in again, and it just keeps again. It's so repetitive, but they do this. Mm-hmm. They do a really good job of keeping it interesting as the song moves through. So yeah, hat off to them. I believe that that is called a break beat, where they drop certain elements out and then bring them back in. Okay, nothing changes except for you drop an element and then you bring. Yeah, the element back yeah, yeah, in. yeah. I think that's called a break beat, but I could be wrong. The chorus of this song, sung by a man named D. Ruff. Who's David Ruffin Jr., son of former Temptation David Ruffin? I was gonna. I thought I knew the name Ruffin. That's crazy. All right. Yeah. So I love this song. I think this song is cool. 
I think this very much fits with Snoop's I don't want a message-driven album. I don't want this to be about social commentary. I want this to be about <laughs> fucking and having fun and smoking weed. Right. I really do think that it's it's breezy, it's light, it's fun, it's not super serious. I do have a quote from Stephen Dalton from NME who wrote, The Snoopster slopes back with a slinky lowrider of a groove and a spliffed up wibbly wobbly rap about smooching down the boulevard sipping happy juice in the sunshine. Slow low beats and cheesy disco synth effects give a parliament style space funk vibe and Mr. Dog is obviously a cool drink of water on a hot afternoon but his chilled out musings are hardly a patch on Ice Cube's ultra laid back gangsta anthem It Was a Good Day. And Stephen Dalton sounds like the biggest fucking whiny bitch in the world. I thought I was a nerd. My God, yeah. that's <laughs> that's it's simultaneously beautiful and ridiculously nerdy. So much alliteration. Come on. Honestly, this is a podcast by a bunch of old nerds who complain about shit all the time, and that was too nerdy and bitchy for me. I could not take it. I was like, it's what the fuck are you talking about? New level. What's that guy's name? Stephen Dalton. Yeah, all right. First of all, you're going to compare it to It Was a Good Day and be like, if it's not It Was a Good Day, then it fucking sucks. You're talking about one of the greatest rap songs of all time. And you're like, well, it's not that, so it must be terrible. It must be bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, this song's great. Again, re-listening to this was like, I totally get why I liked that back in the day. This is not rose-colored glasses for nostalgia. This is just a compelling, good song. It's very fun. Yeah, very fun. Yeah. That oh yeah yeah it's really nice. Anyway, we're gonna move on to the next song on our focus list here. It is the song Lottie Dottie. Lottie Dottie, we likes to party. We don't cause trouble. We don't bother nobody. We're just some niggas who on the mic. And when we rock up on the mic, we rock the mic for all my dogs, keeping y'all in health. Just to see you smile and enjoy yourself Cause it's cool when you cause a cozy conditioning Which we create, cause that's our mission So listen close to what we say Because this types of shit happens every day I woke up around 10 o'clock in the morning I gave myself a stretch up, a moaning, yawning Went to the bathroom to wash up I threw some soap on my face and put my hands up on a cup And said, um, mirror, mirror so, what'd you guys think of this one? This is just fun, too. This is awesome. It's cool as shit. It's got the weird boo-boo-dee. It's got the a-go-go. <laughs> you th- is that Snoop? It's got to be Snoop, I bet you. And I bet you it's a live track. I bet you hit it every he time. Going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just went to the booth and was like... <laughs> I'm going to guess not. He probably would have gotten a credit on there for that. Yeah, right, right. credit for doing any instrumentation. Like, I got to get paid. <laughs> Listen, I love this song. And I've always liked this song. I, I, I found it to be a funny and compelling song. And again, Adam, I totally get why you're not of the mindset to like this song. It is very profane in a way. But I learned this halfway through the week, and it kind of ruined the song for me. This is a cover song. Did you know that? Really? Definitely not. This is a Doug E. Fresh and Slick Rick song called La Di Da Di, L-A-D-I, L-A-D-I. Mm-hmm. And 
it literally starts Lottie Dottie, we likes the potty, we don't make trouble, we don't bother nobody. You know what? Your peep this Lottie Dottie, we like the potty, we don't cause trouble, we don't bother nobody. We're just some men that's on the mic. And when we rock up on the mic, we rock the mic. For all of y'all, keeping y'all in hell. Just to see you smile and enjoy yourself. Cause it's cool when you cause a cozy condition and that we create. Cause that's our mission. So it's like ninety percent of the lyrics are the same. And on the Lottie Dottie that they're doing, Dougie Fresh is just beatboxing and Slick Rick is rhyming over it. But the whole like performing your ablutions daily beauty routine thing, it's all that's all from the original song. No way. Wow. All right. All right, because I was going to complain that I thought it was pretty lazy rhyming. Like in the first couple stanzas, he says he, he rhymes Rick with Dick, which is kind of like <laughs> rhyming Fred, Head, and Dead. Like, come on, man. You can do better than that. So, all right, good. If it wasn't Snoop, I can blame it on somebody else. No, well, that actually is Snoop because he gives a shout out to Slick Rick. Oh, and if you don't okay. like it, you can eat a dick. There, and he's okay. doing a Slick Rick song. So, right, yeah. All right, all right. That's the it. one rhyme that Snoop wrote on here, and you don't like it. <laughs> Not the, the one, one rhyme. Like, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. When he gets to the end part and he's, you know, talking about uh i'm too old for you bitch part like that's that's much more the uh the snoop dog elements to it but we've all come to know and love we've all come to know and love. <laughs> this was one of the cringier songs not as bad there's a slow jam on the album where somebody sings that was the cringiest but th- this was uh you know there were a couple of lines in here that that made me cringe but i did think it was interesting so there's a female vocal on the on this song and I thought it was funny that he had a female vocal, but he decided to do the portion of the song that is sung from the woman's perspective. Like, and he kind of lightens up his voice when he's doing that part. And like, well, you have a woman, she could have done that. It was just an interesting choice because then he jumps right back in on his response as himself. So I thought it was just a interesting, interesting choice there. Yeah. I mean, in terms of... What'd you say about Shug Knight? What did I say about Suge Knight? I said <laughs> no, nothing but just... good things about Suge Knight. Oh, I said God. lovely things about Suge Knight. <laughs> no, the wonderful. Man. Mr. Suge Knight, sir. I'm going to look up and see if he's in prison right now, because right, if yeah, he's right, not, right, right. <laughs> I mean, we can still edit this, right? Yeah, right, right. Cut out all my stuff. No, no. Suge Knight is, uh, let's see, voluntary manslaughter, personal life, and legal trouble. Oh, wow. We got... 2014 shooting. We got prosecution on charges of threatening death in 2017. I don't Snoop. Good lord, why did you get in bed with this guy? <laughs> this guy's crazy. Well, well look, I think I'm fine as a, a 23 year old guy who lives in Albania. I think I'll be fine. So I don't. Think... <laughs> yeah, this was the song I texted you guys earlier in the day. That musically, this is pretty cool. In that there are some very ambiguous musical aspects here where the bass is not playing the root, but when you listen to some of the additional synths over top of it, they're actually playing an E-flat minor, then it goes to a B major over a D, and then, as near as I can tell, it goes to like a C diminished, which is, and then the bass player gets some. Whenever they land on that C, he noodles a little bit. It's a really cool chord progression, so whoever is in the studio laying that down... That aspect of it kept me interested the whole time. I also thought that this was kind of a a gangster version of a hard day's night. You know, instead of being attacked by adoring fans at the airport, it's a street fight and it's a bunch of women fighting over his package. So I just got like to do. This is the advantage and the disadvantage of like not really connecting with the lyrics, right? I don't really like. Yeah, I don't really. Oh, I analyzed them right. 
Yeah, I never really get into the story too much, you know? Alrighty, so we are now going to go on to the next song on our focus list, which is Murder Was the Case. As I look up at the sky, my mind starts dripping, a tear drops my eye. My body temperature falls, I'm shaking and they breaking, trying to save the dough. Pumping on my chest and I'm screaming, I stop breathing, damn I see demons. Dear God, I wonder can you save me? I can't die, my boo-boo's about to have my baby. I think it's too late for praying, hold up. Her voice spoke to me and it slowly started saying, Bring your lifestyle to me, I make it how will I live? Eternal life better forever. Who will I be? The G that I want? I'll make your life better than you can imagine, or even dream does. So relax your soul. Let me take control. Close your eyes, my son. My eyes are closed. Remember what the case that they gave me? Remember what the case that they gave me? I'm fresh up off my coma. I got my mom. Favorite track. I loved this tune. Was this a single? I don't think this was a single. Oh, really? There was a, definitely a video for this, though. There might have been a video for it, but I believe that... Let's see what the singles on Doggy Style were. What's My Name, Gin and Juice, and then Doggy Dog World. God, I think those might have been the only singles. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. This song is definitely cool, though. It's got the choir. It just has that a... bell. That bell right yeah, off the yeah, bat. You're like, oh, you know, death church thing, right? Like it is <laughs> yeah, a great totally. mood setting element. This actually samples a Santana song called Fried Neck Bones. <laughs> Which, yeah. First off, that sounds like a James Brown song. Oh, fried neck bones. <laughs> he just starts naming food. Anyway. Yeah. Pass the peas, baby. Right. Anyway. <laughs> but no, this is a fantastic song. It's got good storytelling too, the whole making a deal with the devil. Yeah. And I gotta tell you, he must have kind of felt like did I make a deal with the devil somewhere? Because how did my life become this? And still, by the way, riding that train to this day, living a great life, yeah, living his man. best life. If he doesn't have a line of pre-rolled blunts that you can buy, then I don't understand what his marketing department is doing <laughs> because it's mm-hmm. just, it's peanut butter and jelly, baby. They go together. <laughs> but man, this was one of those songs that I had not heard in a long time. Like I've heard gin and juice within the last 10 years. I haven't heard this one since the 90s, and I was like, oh, damn, this one's really cool. So this was kind of like my find on the album, even though it wasn't really a find because I'd heard it before. But I, upon revisiting it, was like, wow, there is a lot going on here. And he does have, again, that just like, it's almost like a sympathetic style. Like you kind of feel for him in this song, even though he- Totally. Yeah. And I don't know what it is, you know? He was literally out on bail for having killed a guy at this point. Yeah. It's kind of like The Godfather, right? And that, like, you watch The Godfather and you sympathize for Michael. You like Michael. He's the good guy. He's the hero. Michael is a stone cold killer. <laughs> Michael is a bad guy, <laughs> right? But, like, you feel for him. You want him to win. Yeah, right. <laughs> the sympathetic villain. I mean, just on the, like, emotional and physical abuse of his wife angle on that movie, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, one of the things that is kind of interesting about Snoop is that. He was married to his high school girlfriend, Shantae Taylor. They got married in 97, and they were married until 2004 when they got divorced. And they renewed their vows again in 2008. He's actually a really unproblematic guy. It sounds like once he got famous, he was like, I'm leaving all of that shit behind. (laughs) Apparently, I guess the murder charge really got him like, I'm going to get my shit together. And he's one of those people that, like, oddly enough... For what his 
background was and for the especially the style of music that he was in like he makes fucking cookies with martha stewart and shit yeah you know like right he's the chillest dude yeah totally that that was what i took away from the behind the music again that behind the music was way before you know martha stewart and kind of his his new stuff but the takeaway was that like he got a second lease on life and he's not going to screw it up this time and he'd like he you know went as straight as you could in in the game here and, and with that that genre but yeah he sounds like he's a he's a pretty cool guy listen there's nothing wrong with a dude who's just like i like to smoke a lot of weed what's gonna hurt his career <laughs> you know it's not like <laughs> yeah yeah he couldn't possibly <laughs> spend the money that he made on this album on weed i don't think it's physically possible <laughs> to spend that much money on weed everything I remember there was a Little Wayne interview with Katie Couric back in the day. I mean, she was like interviewing Little Wayne and she was asking him about like the weed that he smokes. And she's like, Do you really think it's a good idea to smoke all that weed? And he's like, Miss Katie, I'm a rapper. Like, I'm very successful. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking why, about? Yeah, why would you? <laughs> yeah. What's the problem? Yeah, seriously. It's like a job requirement, you know? Well, he makes a good point, right? Which is like, life is for living. Right yeah. and right, like what? Are, he's not worried about his reputation. Yeah, he's also he's not yeah. pulling a David Crosby. He's like, you know, my teeth are <laughs> yeah. falling out. Gonna and need a new liver. I right, open sores on my oh, face, Jesus. and I keep getting arrested. Yeah, you know, like he's he's doing great. I know what to do. International, International waters. waters. That'll save the day. Yeah. Like, I didn't look into that story, but it'd be hilarious if he was on, like, Lake Michigan or something like that. And he's like, I'm going to make it international waters. You're like, I don't think it's going to work, man. Anyway, let's go on to the next song that we are going to talk about on our focus list. It is the song Serial Killer. Six million ways to die. Choose one. But I don't know where the fuck I'm headed Up or down, right or left, life or death I see myself in the midst of smoke Death becomes any nigga that takes me for a joke We hit a five dollar stick, now we puttin' it work Unaccountable amounts of dirt Death becomes all niggas, anybody killer You know what the deal is, nigga, you know what the real is I see is. some more brand niggas on the corner flagging me down Singing your dad, what's up with the pap? Is that nigga Snoop all right? Hey, yo, what's up with the crew? Is them niggas in jail or is the niggas through? I said if you ain't up on things Snoop Dogg is the name, dog pounds the gang it's like this, they don't understand It's an everyday thing to gangbang Make that switch, don't be a bitch Let these niggas know What's up with you, I represent the pound of death row And can't no other motherfucker in LA alone Beat your cop in the YTDOGs Nah, you can't come and you can't run And you can't see long to the G's of the gang One gun is all that we need to put you to rest Put two slugs dead in your chest Now you dead, then the motherfucker creeping and sleeping Six feet deep and Fucking with the pound It's suicide, it's a suicide Suicide, it's a suicide Suicide, it's a suicide Suicide, it's a suicide This is not Snoop's lane at all This is, I'm hard, I'ma fucking kill you And it's like, come on, Snoop Come on, man Just, you know, smoke a joint, be cool You know (laughs) (laughs) You're clearly not gonna kill me (laughs) Yeah, although, murder charge aside Yeah, because I Again, going back to the behind the music, they were talking that actually recording this album, it was really awkward because they would have to go into Death Row Studios and like guys like from gangs would be passing in the hall and like they're all going into their different studios and writing songs about how they're going to, you know, fight each other or kill each other. And it was like it must have been a really stressful time to have to 
that was, you know, you, you were potentially living with it at night, you know, with people doing drive-bys or whatever your, your nightlife looked like. And then you come into quote-unquote work and you're dealing with the same shit. That's where you need the Jimmy Iovine to come in and be like, guys, it's an act. It's yeah, all an right, act right. to make money yeah, off right. of suburban white kids, okay? Right, right. Can, you, can you just leave it at the goddamn door? <laughs> Have you seen wwf wrestling i want to do the exact same thing with rap (laughs) (laughs) this is the musical equivalent yes which i had made a note that one of these guys sounds like a wwf wrestler who's like giving his fight speech against i don't know undertaker or something (laughs) the chorus of this song is terrible suicide it's a suicide that guy yes he sounds like a a wrestler Like, what are you talking? First of all, you're talking about killing people as a serial killer. That's not suicide. It's the opposite (laughs) of suicide. Get your facts straight here. And then it just, like, it doesn't justify its length. It's another one of those two-chord songs. And, like, I don't think the production could have saved this song, but it doesn't even try to save it. It's just, it's very ho-hum. There is one part that is my absolute favorite. And it comes at the very end of one of the choruses. It's at 2.25 where you yes. have Snoop yes. in the background going, wake up in the morning, eat your Lucky Charms cereal. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? This song about being a mass killer and you drop in a wake up in the morning, eat your Lucky Charms cereal. Like fucking kids eat that. What no grown man eats Lucky Charms? What the fuck is wrong with you? Well, maybe he's a serial killer, and it's, you know he's all confused. Yeah, yeah. He just he's, he's just smashing Cheerios left and right. I made two lyrical yeah. notes. One was there was a lazy rhyme in there, and it made me feel better because I feel like maybe Snoop just dropped the ball or just needed a filler word. So it was "Ain't no clue on the f what we do, leave you in a state of paranoia." Ooh. He said he used an ooh to finish the rhyme, which I thought that was hilarious. Then, yeah. He may as well said boo. Like yeah. <laughs> There's another line. I wrote down 230. It might be 203, but somebody makes a Yogi Bear reference, which is the least gangster thing you can do. It's not a picnic basket. It's a picnic casket. Like, like, come on. I mean, that's pretty delightful. <laughs> yes, yes. Delightful is a good word for it. But, but again, this goes back to Tom's like Tom's thesis at the top, right? That like this is this is supposed to be fun. Right. This is supposed to be like in- inroads into a a more mainstream you know scenario, right? Like more mainstream ears. There's a there's a great anecdote where Snoop Snoop is talking about Jimmy Iovine calls him up and he's like, "Hey man, I got you. You and Dre are gonna be on the cover of Rolling Stone, all right?" And Snoop's like, "I fucking hate the Rolling Stones. I ain't doing that shit." I want to be on the source. And he's like, Snoop, it's not the Rolling Stones. It's Rolling Stone magazine. It's a completely different thing. And he's like, listen, the people who buy the source are predominantly black. They already know you. They already like you. They're already going to buy your album. You got to get on Rolling Stone. White people read Rolling Stone. And then you get them to buy your album. And he, I think the quote from him was he was like, and then I was on the cover of Rolling Stone and I went from like this to like this. And I was like, all white, all white, all white. That's a funny guy. That's funny. Guy. Right, yeah, that's yeah. funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to move on to the last song on our focus list, the first single on the album, Snoop's Introduction as a Solo Artist. It is the song, Who Am I, parentheses, What's My Name? The 
Z back to the block. Snoop Doggy Dog, Monkey at the 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 dot. Went solo on that ass, but it's still the same. Long Beach is the spot where I serve my cane. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, but don't lose your grip. Nine trips ain't the easiest for me to fuck up. Shit, so I ain't holding nothing back. And motherfucker, I got five on the twenty track. It's like that, and as a matter of fact, cha cha cha. 'Cause I never hesitate to put a nigga on his back. Yeah, so keep out the manuscript. You see that it's a must. We drop gangsta. What's the motherfucking name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. How fucking good is this song? <laughs> so he's so good. It's got like the talk box and the yes. George Clinton sample. Wow, wow, wow. And I don't even. It's like, I guess it's a synthesizer, but like there's just like a ripping sound that's playing the bass line. Dude, it's awesome. That bass <laughs> is so loud, so in front. It functions as like the lead instrument and the bass simultaneously. <laughs> it's it's so just, tough. it's crazy loud. From just a standpoint of intelligent marketing, could you have a better debut single called What's My Name? And then just a chorus of people singing your name. The entire chorus is just stupid. Yeah, it's pretty no, good. Yeah, no. Honestly, serious question. Did Eminem note that and just do the same thing with my name? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say I'm fascinated with songs on debut albums that announce your arrival on the scene. You know, and so yeah, <laughs> yeah, kid, uh, yeah. Uh, even Kid Rock. My name is Kid. You know, like that. That's <laughs> sure. like what is that? Yeah, the yeah. opening track on that. I know it's not his first album, but but yeah, with, with the ball, right, right. <laughs> so those those types of tunes just crack me up, man. And yeah, this one is done really, really well. Yeah, it's bouncy, and part of what makes it bouncy is the Parliament hook, basically. But the other thing that makes it bouncy is his lyrical flow fits so well with the beat and the instrumentation in the song it's this very give and take feel it's playful this song too like a lot of the songs on the record are sort of like they're chill right they're real chill and this is one where you can sort of sense this is approaching Snoop's max tempo when he does the like, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Like he can't quite get it out, right? So it does have a different energy to it because, you know. Totally, like, totally. Yeah. I, <laughs> the line, I, just, I love it. It's again, it's, it's, it's cheesy and it's not, I'm not going to listen to him and be like, oh my God, the lyrical genius on this. He's not an MF Doom. <laughs> sure. He's not like the gift of gab or anything like that. But what <laughs> he says, up in your bitch is where you might find me laying that, playing that G thing. She wants the, eh, with the biggest nuts. He is I and I am him. Slim with a tilted brim. What's my motherfucking name? Snoop Dogg. <laughs> it's so good. Amazing. First of all. And then second of all, do girls want guys with the biggest nuts? Is this something I have to be like self-conscious about now? Like, <laughs> yeah, what is that? He talks about it on the Chronic too. Yeah. He's always talking about nuts and how women want nuts, and is it a testosterone thing? I don't know. Pheromones, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he knows and I don't. Right? Like, you know. <laughs> so to come at it from a scientific angle, there was a study that was done <laughs> relatively recently. 
on the attractiveness of testicles, where they were trying to find like what makes an attractive set of testicles. And the end result was that everybody found every version of testicles so unattractive <laughs> that they couldn't figure out. There was no like, oh, those are a beautiful set of they balls. Everybody was just like, no, oh my God. no, they all suck. Basically, they're all just weird floppy flesh sacks. <laughs> It's a very utilitarian <laughs> organ that has no aesthetic value. So this clearly, you know, Atomic Dog by George Clinton is the sample for this. Brilliantly repurposed for this song in a way that I feel like this might be the apex of taking a Parliament song and turning it into a rap song. This might be the top of the mountain for that. It's it's so good. And again, I couldn't help but kind of smile listening to this. And I feel like that was very absent on most of the L.A. rap up to this point. This was happy and fun music. It made you kind of smile. You're not getting that from 187 on an undercover cop. You know, you're not getting that from Dr. Dre talking about, I got my neener, you know, I'm straight tripping, you know. This was yes. fun. This is fun music. It's good. He's literally talking about dancing, drinking, having sex, smoking weed till six in the morning. Six in, in the a morning. House that you don't, in, in a house that you don't own. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> and presumably don't have to clean up. Right? Like, that sounds great. You know, you do got to clean up, though, before your mama comes home. Because he says, two in the morning and the party's still jumping because my mama ain't home. Where's your mom? At the time, is she out at another party at two o'clock in the morning? She's is probably working the overnight shift to pay for. I don't know. Yeah. Either way, let's bring it on home. We're gonna vote and tell you all: Does this belong on the list of one thousand and one albums you must hear before you die? I am gonna throw it first over to Adam. This is a tough one, man. And even as of about three minutes ago, I wasn't sure what I was gonna say. But I. Up front, right? Didn't really enjoy the week. This is not my genre. This is not my style. I found it cringeworthy at times. It's 52 minutes long. My God, that is a lot of Snoop in one sitting. Uh, That's very true. And even though this music is not for me and it won't be going on any playlists, he is such a name. He is such a force in music and pop culture that you should do yourself a favor and listen to this at least once. So it's a reluctant yes from me, just squeaking by. All righty. Phil, what do you got? I'll give this a bold yes, an unreluctant yes. I would also say this is not for your children. Like, don't listen to this on the way to school. This is Very not. Very good point. Like, is this a record you should listen to before you you die? Yes, assuming you're, like, 20 years old or older. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I love this record. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. I'm going to echo Phil. I'm coming in with a hard yes on this one. This, this album is great. I had a great time listening to it. I think that it gives you a, an understanding of hip hop that, I mean, hip hop is ubiquitous these days. And you do really need to understand the singular lyrical and rap stylings of Snoop. I would like to point out that he has 16 albums that he has released. Jesus. And honestly, this is the only good one. They're all not that great. And they kind of sold, but they sold 100% on the strength of Doggy Style. Sure. I mean, 
His next album, The Dog Father, two times platinum in the U.S. The album after that was The Game is to be Sold, Not to be Told, which is a terrible album title. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's not a good album title. Uh, that one also went two times platinum in the U.S. And, you know, try to name singles off of those. You don't have them. Because, like, what, Still a G-Thang was the one that was off of The Game is to be Sold, Not to be Told. You're just re- rehashing a song that yeah, wasn't even yeah. your song from another album on the dog father. I like dog father was the big single on that one. There's not a whole lot of other stuff that he did after it. That was really noteworthy, but this is noteworthy. His most notable work after this is on the chronic 2000 with Dre. Yeah. Which, uh, which again, like that's not his record, right? That's no. just a different. And frankly, Eminem does a pretty great job on that record as well. Again, unabashed. Yes. So there we have it. Snoopy made the list. Well done, sir. You can reach out to me directly. He's a big fan oh, of sure, this sure. podcast. And so he really wants to know that a bunch of guys, frankly, that were in middle school at the time when this was released, he hit the audience. He hit the nail right on the goddamn head. 30 years ago. Damn. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I was really young when this album came out. And I was like, no, wait, he was really young when this yeah, album right. came out. Fantastic album. You're on the list. Everybody listen to Doggy Style by Snoop Doggy Dog, who really goes by Snoop Dog more these days. He dropped the doggy part of it. But a few things left to do before we wrap this episode up. I am going to throw it over to Adam, and he is going to reach his manicured fingernails <laughs> and his oil of Olay <laughs> slathered hand into that mailbag and pick out a little missive for us. Thank you, Tom. Yes, yeah, so Rob has sent over the mailbag to me for this week and our first letter comes from E from the Extended Play Podcast. The Extended Play Podcast, Rob, did a guest spot over there. They are hilarious. They also talk about music and albums. I recommend it if you have a chance. It's the Extended Play Podcast. Anyway, E from that podcast wrote in and says, Just listen to your 17-second show, and I really appreciate the diverse perspectives you all brought to this discussion. I had a similar tug of war going on in my own head when listening to the album for the first time. I happened to love a long instrumental intro, but also felt a little bored with the monotony of the intros on 17 seconds. It's cool, though, to compare these intros with those on later Cure albums like Disintegration, which to me are way more intricate and satisfying. Anyway, love the show. Keep up the great work. P.S. Huge thanks to Rob for appearing on our show's season two finale. We had a blast talking about band breakups. So here's hoping that when it comes to longevity, you guys are more like you two and less like, well, the cure. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, E. That is great. I was not on that cure episode, but I listened to it. You guys did a fantastic job, if I do say so. All right. Our next missive comes from Reese from Wales. And Reese says, longtime listener from the UK here. Firstly, thank you all for the great podcast over the last two years or so. I stumbled across you guys back on episode 21, which was the Velvet Underground and Nico. Oh, of, wow. Well, yes. One of the- I'm glad I can be here to support accuracy and just like <laughs> popular opinion. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> just, just- Respect for good art. Fuck the Velvet Underground. <laughs> he goes on to say that that we helped him eat up a lot of long road hours. 
He's recommended 1001 album complaints to his friends, family, and bandmates, and have found a lot of enjoyment hearing new views on albums that he knows and loves, as well as discovering new music. He goes on, for better or for worse, I have songs by Big Star, Flying Burrito Brothers, Loretta Lynn, Randy Newman, and Royksop all added to my playlist. Funnily enough, neither Eric Clapton nor Steven Seagal made the cut. (laughs) (laughs) I'd take Seagal over Clapton. (laughs) Agreed. Thank you, Reese. That is great to hear. That is quite a mix there of bands on your playlist. So very cool. Thank you for writing in. By the way, Steven Seagal, go listen to that episode. That's one of my favorites. Just so happens to have been released on April 1st. But go check it out. It's quite a good listen. And hey, we want to hear from you guys as well. Like we say, we've got a week to prepare and only an hour to share. So Sometimes we miss some things, but we're always looking for feedback, always looking for context. So please feel free to write in to 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. And in addition, we are doing a give back in November since it will be coming up on the holidays. So November is going to be listener request month. So what we're asking you to do, if you're hearing my voice, we need you to write into the email address. We need you to hit us up on Instagram. We need you to reply back on a Spotify episode. Let us know what albums you want us here at the show to review. Vote early, vote often. We're really looking forward to hearing what you guys want to hear, and we'll definitely dive into those in the month of November. Super excited to see what we get. All right. Thank you very much, Adam, and thank you very much to everybody that has been listening to this all the way to not quite the bitter end because we have one more thing that we need to do, which is choose the album that we are going to cover next week. I have the Albinator. It's here in the corner. It's been pissing in a bucket and <laughs> drinking some Seagram's gin and getting just puffing tough on the bubonic chronic, as they say. So, yeah, seriously, after the, uh, after the podcast tonight, can you send me the uh, bounces of that piss bucket? I'd, lo- I'd love to get a listen to that audio. Like, love, love that. I got it uh, plate reverb on tape. Thank you. Okay, Thank so you for committing the reverb okay. to tape. Thank yes. you. Yes. <laughs> so we have the Albinator. Let's spin that wheel and see what we will be listening to next week. Without any further ado, drum roll, please. We will be listening to... The album is Emergency on Planet Earth, and the artist is Jamiroquai. All right. Does this have virtual insanity on it? Because it's the only Jamiroquai song I know. And you probably know the, what's the other one? Napoleon Dynamite song. Those are the probably the only two I know. What is the Napoleon Dynamite song? You know this boogie is for real. Nope. All right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, by the way, you need to cut all that because that's a lie. Because I went through like a five year period where I listened to every Jamiroquai. <laughs> I'm trying to sound impartial. So you can cut that shit. No, I'm not cutting that. Your <laughs> bullshit is going to stay on tape for all of posterity. Oh, wonderful. Right? Okay. So listen to Emergency on Planet Earth by Jamiroquai for next week. Nice. Thank you for listening all the way to the end for 1001 album complaints. I have been Tom. I'm Adam. And I'm Phil. What's my motherfucking boosh? <laughs> 